The Old Testament reading comes from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make new well, I, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I, look, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The epistle reading is from Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Every high priest is selected among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. Please rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, 
and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Heavenly Father and the Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It is good to see God's people and and to see your faces this morning. I guess it's been a little while since this past January when I was able to and privileged to serve you with the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And it's good to be back among you again. The text for our meditation and reflection this morning is recorded in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. The title of my message this morning is God's Handiwork in Christ. God's Handiwork in Christ. Beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, if you believe, truly believe, what Scripture teaches as well you should. It's a sorry and it's a hopeless condition into which you and I were born. The spiritual condition of our souls by nature. And by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul makes it crystal clear that you and I were born dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And at the very moment you and I were given life in this world, we were, in a sense, already, well, shall I say, zombies. Dead men walking, dead people walking, spiritually and morally lifeless by the spiritual condition into which we were born. The condition you and I inherited from each of our parents going all the way back in time to Adam and Eve. By nature, you and I are dead under the law's condemnation of our sinfulness. And we can't get around it. We are dead to any ability at all to initiate any effort toward establishing a relationship with the Lord on our own grounds. Our Lutheran confessional fathers wrote it this way, you are completely finished and entirely dead. You know, we live in a world where many people sincerely believe that somehow this hopeless, deadly spiritual condition in that condition. Someone can make his or her own decision to be spiritually reborn. In other words, to use a little bit of Baptist language, to be born again of our own choice, our own effort. And the mistaken rationalization in this kind of thinking is simply this. There is in natural man a little island 
an island of righteousness where a person has within themselves the natural ability to turn or to change or to embrace the offer of God's grace. At the Portland Navy Yard, a U.S. ship came in for fumigation. Yellow fever had broken out on that ship among its crew during its previous voyage. The ship was thoroughly scraped, repainted, and then put into commission again. Less than a month at sea, guess what happened? Yellow fever broke out again. And so it was decided to open the ship and expose the fever to spores to a complete freezing in the middle of the winter. The medical experts said that the spores on that ship couldn't live in the freezing cold weather. And so, once again, the ship was cleaned, repainted, and refurbished. But once again, guess what happened? The yellow fever reappeared. And the reality began to sink in that while this ship on the outside was a noble-looking vessel, it was full of death on the inside. And in the end, that ship was towed out to sea and sunk to the bottom of the ocean. You know, in a way, it's the same with all of us at birth. We enter into this world with a spiritual condition that is 100% fatal. No wiggle room. And in that condition, there is nothing in and of ourselves that by nature can change that. There is no tiny little island of inherent righteousness that exists within you and me. There really is no will to choose for Christ. There is no real innate desire to be anything other than what we make of ourselves. And what we make of ourselves in this spiritually fallen condition is clearly revealed by the Apostle Paul. He says we follow the ways, meaning the morals and the values of the fallen world in which we live. That we do by nature. We follow the ruler of the kingdom of the air. You know who that is. That's Satan. And we live only to gratify the self-centered cravings of our sinful nature. And in making ourselves these things, The Apostle Paul tells us we make of ourselves something else. Something deadly. Something eternally horrible. We make of ourselves objects of God's wrath. Of his punishment and of his eternal condemnation. Of our fallen selves. Beloved in Christ, by the inherited spiritual depravity of your sinful human nature and mine, we are the handiwork of Satan. We are the handiwork of our own sinful 
flesh and our own sinful desires. And in this inherited fallen condition, there's no hope, none whatsoever, for you and for me to forge a relationship with the Lord or to earn our own eternal life and salvation. You can't do that. I can't do that. No human being alive can do that. You see, if you and I are truly to be God's children, He is the one, His Spirit is the one who must mold you and me. He must shape you and me. And that's precisely what He has done in His Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised you and me up with Christ and has seated us with him now in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages, Jesus might show the incomparable riches of his grace, his mercy, expressed to you and me in his love. You know, because Pastor Blaine has taught it to you very well, that you and I have been saved by God's grace and God's grace alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Your faith, the forgiveness of your sins, that's a gift. A gift that is given to you and me by God. It is unearned by our good works. It is undeserved, Paul says, lest we should boast. You and I are, as the Apostle Paul so wonderfully describes God's handiwork. The handiwork of God molding and shaping you and me to be created as a child of His in Christ Jesus. The Greek word originally translated handiwork is the word poema. And it implies that God has made of you and me a blessed work of art. Long, long ago, people found a block of marble in a heap of rubbish. What they saw when they saw that block of marble was just a big, old, heavy stone. On the other hand, Michelangelo, seeing that same block of stone, saw a statue. He saw a statue and by his handiwork he created his masterpiece titled Moses. Saul was a fanatical persecutor of Christians and yet out of his rock-hardened heart God again in his handiwork carved out the apostle Paul. 
And friends in Christ, God saw you and me in our sin. And he created in you and me a clean heart. He renewed in you and me a right spirit. And by his handiwork in Christ Jesus, he built your body into a holy temple. A temple of the Holy Spirit. When you leave this church building today, guess who leaves with you in your temple? God's Holy Spirit. You are God's handiwork in Christ Jesus. Molded and shaped by him for a holy purpose in your life. And to get it down to its simplest form, those purposes are to love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. And to walk, in a sense, to live in the good works that God long ago prepared for you and me. By his grace and by his grace alone, you and I are God's poema in Christ. We are his work of art. I don't know how many of you remember a Christian singer by the name of Michael Carr, one of my wife's and my favorite uh, Christian singers. And he sang an album titled Poema. And there's a beautiful song in this uh, album about living as God's work of art, about living as God's poema, and about walking in the good works that he has prepared in advance for you and me to do. And I want to share with you a couple of the lyrics from the song that Michael Card wrote. And I want you to get the picture in your head. In an upstairs room, you know where he's going with this, right? In an upstairs room, a parable is just about to come alive. And while they bicker about who's best, who's the they, Jesus' disciples, of course, and while they bicker about who's best, with a painful glance, he silently rises. Jesus. Their savior servant must now show them how, through the will of the water and the tenderness of the towel, how to be a faithful servant. And the Lord's call is to community, the impoverished power that sets the soul free. In other words, in humility, to take the vow that day after day we, like Jesus, must take up the basin, and the towel, and wash the feet. In any ordinary place, on any ordinary day, this parable lives over and over and over. When an individual kneels, and another individual yields, and in humility together take that vow, that in our lives, we must take up the basin, and the towel, and wash the feet. Our Savior, servant, Jesus, shows us how. 
with the water and the tenderness of the towel he used to day after day, you and I, as we have opportunities, as God brings people in front of you, maybe even people you don't know very well at all, an opportunity for you in your words to take up the basin and the towel and wash the feet of someone else. I would say to you today, friends in Christ, to God alone be the glory for his poema, his work of art in your life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We invite you to rise as together we confess our Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again, and descended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.